gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex Retweet. Hello and welcome to this, the latest episode of Eat, Sleep, Suplex Retweet. I'm your host, Stephen Wilson, and today we are going to be talking about wrestling heroes as we're going to be talking about the wrestlers that inspired us as fans to watch and still tolerate at times professional wrestling. So this should be a fun show with the guys giving their opinions on who got them into wrestling from the, you know, the, the superstar point of view. But before we kick off with that, just a little bit of housekeeping as we normally do. You can find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Suplex Retweet. Uh, you can find us on all good podcasting sites. Just search for Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. And you can also find our bonus catalogue of Suplex Retweet Extra, which has got things such as The Raw Report, East Meets West, uh, The Wednesday Night Wars, and Saturday Draft Live, just to name a few of those extra shows. Now, to talk about... People say that wrestlers are like modern-day superheroes, especially in the 80s with the likes of Hulk Hogan. So to talk about this, I needed a superhero like panel today and let's be i got kind of like superhero light but it'll do the job first of all i've got a man who's like our superman with a kryptonite of social media technology and total divas as strack <laughs> you make me sound like i'm old but i'm a that's well, that stuff's old and frightening to me what did you say before we came on? Like, that technology confuses me. <laughs> it does, but you get umpteen fucking daft social media hangs. Ah, uh, that is the kryptonite to a T. Uh, up next, we've got a man who I would call our Star-Lord from Guardians of the Galaxy, because he has a bit of a crossover of Han Solo and Marty McFly. But instead of flying through space fighting aliens, he tends to stoke about Stenny pubs and take pictures of dogs. <laughs> it's Grant McRobbie. <laughs> That's a bit I like to like that one because I love Star Wars. I'm winning with that. Ian. I know. I was, <laughs> I was like, I was like, I need to find something semi-accurate that kind of takes the mick, but yeah, it does the job. You know, how's it going? Oh, absolutely magic. I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, it should be a good one. <laughs> now, every superhero team has someone with a masterful skill that really no fan gives a crap about. So like Hawkeye with archery and Aquaman with being able to live underwater, it's our stats guru, David Hockney. <laughs> you know what, I actually think Hawkeye was pretty cool in the MCU, so I'll take that. Oh no, he sucks, he's dead. He's... Oh, he certainly so gives, he gives Legolas a run for his money. Was he Hockney, I? But what? <laughs> for God's sake. What? I thought I went going with just the Aquaman one, but it's like, no, because he's a bit... Women seem to like the guy that plays him, so I don't really know if that would fit. So Hawkeye was a better choice. Hmm. Yeah. Oh. Uh, and I'm rounding off a panel. He's our Batman, but sadly for him, I'm not talking about the Dark Knight Christian Bale. No, I'm talking about 1960s Adam West. Holy hobgoblins, it's Ryan Wilson. Whoa, <laughs> Adam West is the best Batman. That's a whole different debate. I could do a whole podcast on Adam West. So I'll take that. Thank you. Ah, but he's more of a he's more of a comedy man, you know. Batman, who's known for being mysterious and showing up in buildings, but Adam West, no, he just ran in the front door. Part you outside, part outside City Hall, ran in the front door. You should have just said uh, George Clooney's Batman, like, cause that was a disaster. Oh, Val Kilmer. Oh, I have no idea what you're all talking about. I'm sorry, <laughs> I don't watch superhero films. 
I just named my bunch of ha- handsome guys and saying that I look like them, so I'll accept <laughs> all of those. Now that makes my final intro a bit more funny. Now every kind of superhero team needs a glue, somebody who makes sure that everything goes perfectly right. So you can think of this man as our equivalent of, if you're a Justice League fan, he's our equivalent of Alfred Pennyworth. And if you're a Marvel fan, he's our Pepper Potts. Quack you, Aji. I've got no clue what you're talking about, so I'll just go, thank you. Guys, <laughs> He said you're Gwyneth Paltrow, essentially. Again, not helping. Oh, for God's sake. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad everybody else got that pun, though. I'm glad everybody. I'm glad those puns went down well. It shows how the level of geekiness on this panel this evening. I mean, I'll, I'll rely on somebody on Twitter to explain to me what just happened, and I'll come back with a suitable rebuttal once I know what's actually going on. Surely you know who Alfred Pennyworth is. Sure. The best manservant around. Exactly. Please move uh, on. The, <laughs> the butler, yeah. Best butler ever. Aye, yeah, aye, that butler guy, aye, aye, aye. Anyway, back to the show. Uh, We're here to talk about wrestling heroes. And to kick us off, I'm going to... I'm going to kick off myself, actually. And I'm going to talk to my wrestling hero. It's none other than the GOAT, not David Campbell, the greatest of all time to many people. It's the Texas Rattlesnake. It's Stone Cold Steve Austin. Uh, Well, I got to wrestling in the late 90s and... My mum must have thought I was nuts, or she was nuts, sorry, turning on the TV and there's a guy drinking beer and beating up his boss, you know, but Stone Cold was just the epitome of absolute great at that point in time. I've probably told you guys this story before, you've probably heard it at some point. WrestleMania 17 main event, arguably classed as the greatest, one of the greatest WrestleMania main events of all time. It was 20 years ago and I think I've only watched it a handful of times because I can't stand the ending because of uh, Austin turning heel and Johnny McMahon. It's been 20 years and I think I've watched the match back three times. He was that much of a hero to me, Stone Cold Steve Austin, but that was, he's, he's my guy, I'll go around the panel, can I say. Um, Grant, what was your thinking? Stone Cold, a, a logical choice to start the show? Oh, uh, Stone Cold is like, if you were if you were born like in the late 80s, if you were raised as a, like, a 90s kid, Stone Cold was probably one of the biggest names, the whole, you know, he was just badass. He was just, you know, he wasn't your pure-blooded Hulk Hogan sort of, yeah, America. He was just the, the redneck, the Texas rattlesnake. He was awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dave, you're a bit of a, a daredevil, you know? You like to mm-hmm. break the rules and go crazy uh, at times. No, uh, I, live, uh, I live a sheltered life. Yeah, I always live yeah. by the rules. He goes to bed at 9.01, not 9 o'clock on the dot. <laughs> Rebel without a clue. Um... <laughs> Did you think that at this period of time in the late 90s, it's Stone Cold was just the epitome of what every guy who watched wrestling at that point in time, you know, young adults just kind of testified to? Yeah, and like you said, you know, the, the difference between, uh, you know, what we are like a society today and compared to what we were back then, you know, everything was a lot more uh, unhinged and everybody, you know, had a bit of an attitude about it. And this was a time where shows like South Park as well were, you know, sort of getting a lot of mainstream attention because you know, there was no um, sort of goody two-shoes behavior. It was all very rebellious in attitudes like that. And I think Stone Cold Steve Austin was one of those people that just epitomized like everything that people wanted to be, but they knew they probably couldn't get away with because, you know, he was, um, you know, attacking his boss. He was being this, this, this rebellious working class hero. And I think a lot of people admired that, you know, he just doesn't do what authority figures tell him to do. He plays by his own rules. And I think a lot of people really uh, admired him because he was somebody that they wanted to be. 
Mm-hmm. I think Stone Cold's quite tame compared to South Park because all he did was beat up his boss. He didn't kind of add his wife. He didn't. Uh, or uh, he didn't. <laughs> that's true. But he didn't wow. kill. He didn't kill two guys' parents and make the guy eat them. My God, that cartman. Oh yeah, that was grim. That was Scott uh, Tenerman must die. <laughs> Scott Tenerman got a raw raw deal. Uh, Strack, you were in your teens at this point, but Austin was kind of taking off. What was your thoughts on him? See, that's just, I was going to say. It was kind of the good thing back then. It was you've got Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, Hogan. The guys were kind of world champions. It was just kind of they'd done their matches, and there was a kind of an attitude and a promo thing, but. When Austin appeared, it was kind of something totally different because, as you say, I've, I've preferred this a few times because uh, it's just one of the funniest things I've ever seen. At one point, Austin, leading up to the Royal Rumble in 1998, basically interrupted almost every match and just stunned both guys, or even tag teams, just stunned them. And to a point where he got to the Royal Rumble, when his music hit, everybody stopped and turned around to say, I put one guy, and it's never been done again. And you're like, ah, this is something different, and it's something so funny and then he's saying the whole thing well oh, his boss is telling him to do this and he's telling him to do that and then he sets about him and you're like how many times do you wish you could set about your boss everybody would love to I think everybody would love to stun another boss and everything uh, Ryan one thing I, I've heard a lot about Stone Cold obviously we live in an era now the internet era you know everybody's on Twitter saying such and such in time and people would there's a lot of people who say that the way Austin was kind of booked between 98 and 2000 you know he would, he would not have got the same level of popularity because people would have thought he was being pushed too much and they would have complained on social media. Do you think that's a fair assumption? No, I don't think that's true at all. I think the thing that hasn't worked for the likes of Roman Reigns and stuff is that they've been so manufactured and you can tell that they've wanted to push them, whereas Austin just happened. Austin was organic. Austin connected with the crowd. Austin wasn't over because they wanted him to go over. He was over because he was just over. The fans just connected and they thought, this is our guy. He's the best. He's badass. He's cool as fuck. And we love everything he does. I think, you know, people like, I don't know, Roman Reigns or uh, Braun Strowman or somebody like that, you can tell it's just pet projects. You know, people, they're trying to sell merchandise and it's like, right, go out, we'll push you. But the fans sort of go against that, I think, because they've been told what to do. Whereas Austin, they weren't telling the fans what to do. The fans decided that Stone Cold Steve Austin was going to be the biggest thing in wrestling. So I think it was just an organic thing and a sign of the time. No, definitely. Uh, Quacker, you're a man that loves a bit of comedy, you know. And I think one of the most endearing things as well about Stone Cold, there's a lot of the things he did come out, you would kind of laugh at the same time. You know, when he became CEO in 1999. Loved it. Some of the, some of the, some of the stuff he did, you know, it was just like, it could if it didn't it could come off as cheese for some people but a guy like Austin he was that you know great at what he did yeah exactly I mean I'm sure you're used to whenever people phone you phone people up they will say who the hell is this to you Stevie I think I'm sure you're used to that but mm-hmm. when he told that reception it's just to answer the phone in that way and it's like what the hell do you want I just assist those little things that he's not conventional he he has his own way of things and even me like i remember growing up i would always get cans of coke and smash them and drink a like uh, stone cold and big oh, issue was coke. <laughs> I think everybody but, did it though oh, yeah, at least once yeah oh i did all the time what are you on about the only issue was that you would come out all sticky after it but who cared because uh. you were drinking like stone cold steve austin 
there's, there's, a, there's always an argument you kind of see is like they need to induct the timekeeper that throws his beers into the Hall of Fame at some point. No wonder. The guy never missed. Oh, the, the accuracy was amazing. I think even when Austin was on the ramp, he would chuck them and he would still get close. You know, it's just like Austin had a great catch as well, though, to be fair. Yeah, he, he had a really good catch. And he tanked, he tanked some amount of beer. Going in. I think, obviously, there must have been some sort of, I think it was Bud Light he ended up drinking at the end. Mm-hmm. But, no, he, he tanked some amount of beer. It, 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 it was just the whole thing. He would go in, he'd do what he wants, kick everybody's ass, have a beer, leave. He would kick somebody's ass while he was having the beer, you know. <laughs> and just, but anyway, title after title after title, I mean, it, I, I can always, always visualise that moment in 1999 where he comes out with Mankind wins the world title or he comes out to help Mankind win the world title and mm. the place goes crazy. You'll, you'll struggle to get MD to get a reaction like that ever again. Yeah, his t-shirt basically summed it up. I think it was arise, raise hell, leave. And even, it doesn't matter if he does it for like two minutes or 20 minutes, people are going to love him for it because he's that over with the crowd. And I even remember, I was at a live event in 2005. It was a SmackDown show and he was actually the referee for the WWE title match. It was uh, John Cena, Kurt Angle, and JBL. And he did that. Uh, I think that's why the event sold out. And this was in the SDCC, so you're selling it to about maybe 10,000 people. Sold out within days, all because Stone Cold Steve Austin was making an appearance. And I think that was the difference maker. Yeah. He, he, he's, he's literally a guy that they'll struggle to get a star like him ever again. They've, get, they've got guys like they've had Daniel Bryan, CM Punk, Becky Lynch. They kept, they, a lot of people have got popular, but his level of popularity is a hard one to beat but no I, I think I summarised about the fact that I, I know it's I know it's scripted but it's still something about him turning on turning to go with McMahon it's just like no it should never have happened and it is the storyline after it showed that it kind of didn't go the way they wanted but no I think I'll start off and I'll go with, I'll go with Stone Cold as my choice on that so you're, you're talking about the, the Wrestlemania thing you should have mm. seen me at the Invasion when he turned on WWE, I went absolutely apeshit. Ah, because he, they flipped it because he looked like he did. They did that thing on Raw when he came out and bars everybody after being at the bar. That was a brilliant segment of that one as well. <laughs> but and did just, you know what it was? I thought that's it. I says, "Ah, oh, fuck off!" Since turned WWE's done, obviously, kinda still on a bit kayfabe. I'm like, "Fuck, WWE's done." <laughs> <laughs> and then when you look back on it, you kind of say, "Like, well." Why would they have went back to WCW? Because they chucked him. But, you know, that's but just... I didn't know all that shit at the time, did they? I know, didn't I know. I... behind the curtain? I know. That's just been me being a bit too logical for this, but it's wrestling, come on. But yeah, no, I'll go away. I'm going to go start this off and go away, Austin. Uh, I'm now going to go to Grant, because Grant, you said you've kind of got a singles <laughs> guy and a tag team. Yep, I do. Um, I'm going to throw up my singles guy first, too. While not wrestling anywhere near as long as likes of Austin, his story over the last few years alone is pretty pretty big, and that is Hiromu Takahashi. Okay. He is he's a big one for me because well, overcoming that neck break for a start. Mm-hmm. He's oh, yeah. been he's been a true inspiration in the ring. Cause for me, just what well, you guys all know me, huge in my Japanese stuff, and he is a perfect representation of Japanese wrestling and being a junior heavyweight from his early days where he was a young line getting gubbed left, right and centre. He's got a record of getting pinned by every single person in the best of the Super Juniors back about 2013. But when you look at the pedigree of the people that pinned him, Liger, Prince Devitt, Titan, Taichi, Ricochet, Beretta, 
Rocky Romero, Alex Shelley. Huge, huge guys. <laughs> now, nowadays, he's like, he's pretty much doing the matches that could headline the Tokyo Dome. I still think the Junior should have head, headlined the first night of Wrestle Kingdom. Him and Will Ospreay absolutely blew the roof off the place. Mm-hmm. And he's got a character unlike anyone else. It's just, that's where he's, he's maybe a bit, a bit out, outfield for some people as a hero because he's still relatively young in his career, but to me, he's huge. Mm-hmm. Fair. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the neck break in itself, you know, as a, as that would probably, if you watch that kind of neck break when he gets up against Dragon Lee, you kind of look and think, that's enough to inspire a lot of people because he, 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 was, he was done. He was all by means done at that point. Oh yeah, it was horrific. And I mean, that was him pretty much out for where he'd, he had 530 days between his last match and coming back. And he came back in as if he had never missed a beat and then put on like something like a six-star match in the, the Tokyo Dome. Absolutely inspirational. And he's yeah. just nuts. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. Before we throw it to the rest of the guys, Grant, who is your, who's your tag team? Uh, they are pretty much the big talk of the town at the moment, the Motor City Machine Guns. That's a, a very good, very, very good choice. Uh, what is it about them, other than the fact they are fantastic in the ring? And the Motor City Machine Guns, to me, were like one of the best examples of tag team wrestling that I've ever witnessed. They, they just put, they just had a different sort of attitude compared to NLA. I was, I was never a big fan of tag team wrestling growing up. It wasn't really big for me. But when they finally appeared in TNA back in 2007, debuting, getting to feud with Team 3D, it was complete eye-opener for me. And I mean, they had that, obviously, that really badass name that they changed at the beginning. They were the Murder City Machine Guns. It wasn't PG enough, so it was changed to Motor City. But I mean, the, the two of them are like, as singles wrestlers, are fantastic. And as a team, they're, to me, they're better than the Bucks, better than DX better than, yeah, I'm going to go with, like, say, like, some of the big ones like that. Better than any tag team I can think of from any division anywhere. They are this generation's top guys. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's, a, it's a bold statement to make, but Strack, you could probably agree with how good these two guys, Alex Shelley and Chris Saban, are, both individually and as a team. I mean, uh, the best of the, ex- uh, the next exhibition, Volume 2, I watched that DVD from start to finish and then put it back on. I, I, I'm surprised the DVD still works. They were so <laughs> amazing at how they were singles, and then when they debuted as a tag team, I, I kind of think, oh, is this two guys that kind of, oh, they're both with Detroit. We'll just fling them together and see what happens. I'm so happy I was wrong because, holy shit, they. I, I agree. I, I'd say they were, in a tag team sense, better than the Hardys because they were so their style together. The, the tandem moves they used to do was just because in X Division matches you would get like a guy holding a guy for a DDT the other guy would run up and hit him I'd do a bulldog and a DDT at the same time they would do tag team moves that be a super kick into a carrying destroyer into a pile driving brain buster and you're like I don't even know what I've just seen <laughs> I have no idea what I've just witnessed and the, the matches they had there was I keep forgetting these guys names there was a team for Japan they wrestled to, uh, I can't, what was her names? There's I was going to say different the Splitters, but that's Alex Shelley and Kushida. I mean, they did, it, they, they did beat, uh, I think it was No Limit, which was Naito and Yujiro 
from New Japan. That's how they won the junior tag belts in Japan. No, it was it was in it was a match's own TNA. It was matches on TNA. But I remember years ago, Chris Renfrew, um, he went to a TNA show that was there here and he seen the, the rematch and we says to him, we're like, oh, how was it? He went, on TV, didn't do the match justice. He's like, he's seen it live. Holy shit. He says, these guys are sensational. Absolutely sensational. The, the match I always remember from them was them versus the Bucks. And it was when the Bucks first debuted. And it was kind of like, this is unreal, you know. Mm. It's just, it's absolutely phenomenal. I mean, Dave, you got a brief look at, I know you're not a big Japan man, so mm. your knowledge of Grant's first hero might not be too much, but you saw a bit of Alex Shelley recently when he was a part of the Time Splitters in NXT. Yeah, before that, you know, I'd, I'd seen, I'd watched TNA sporadically as well, and the Motor City Machine Guns were one of the two tag teams that really stuck out to me, a- alongside like Team 3D and Beer Money as well. And my my favorite part about T- watching TNA was the X Division. Like some of the stuff these guys were pulling off were just insane. And I, I actually never thought it was possible to see like human beings do these kinds of moves in the ring and that's what caught my attention so seeing motor city you know team up as a tag team i've seen a couple of their matches with beer inc beer money inc and i'm thinking why am i not watching this more often like i've not seen tag team wrestling like like well i watch AEW uh, as well and some of their tag team wrestling is pretty insane as well but my god the these guys in, in tna just blow the roof off the place every single time uh, you, you you couldn't have a bad match with these two and I, I think you know Grant has every right to sort of look up to them as like an outstanding tag team because what they did not just as, as a tag team but as individual competitors as well I mean it's it's almost inhuman what they were able to pull off uh, it's crazy <laughs> uh, Ryan have you got much have you seen much of you know, the motorcycle machine guns or Takahashi Grant's choices um, no, I don't. I don't watch Japanese wrestling much, um, so I'm not really sure about Takashi that much. But motor motorcycle machine guns, uh, absolutely. I love TNA back in that sort of era, 2006, 2007, sort of before it sort of fell off the rails a wee bit. So you had the motorcycle machine guns. You had um, Kazarian, Elite Skipper, Pete Williams, Black Machismo, Jay Lethal, Sonji Duck, people like that who were just like putting on these amazing matches every single week. It wasn't even on pay-per-views, it was just like on normal, you know, impact television. Um, it was great. I, I remember, um, I can't remember the exact pay-per-view or the exact year, but there was a, a lockdown match, it was like a tag team match. Motorcycle Machine Guns versus Kaz and somebody else, I can't remember the other person. But I remember it just being like a five-star match and it opened the show, it opened that pay-per-view and I'm sure that just set the bar the whole night, like there was no match better than that. Um, the, the matches I put on about 2007 was just unbelievable and they were one of my favourite tag teams as well. And I also remember Alex Shelley was doing that thing with Kevin Nash. Um, Paparazzi Productions. Alex Shelley Productions, I, um So Kevin Nash was also involved with it as well, so that was sort of putting them over as like a bigger deal than they were because obviously the Nash involved um, he was a bigger name um, it was great it was a really great time uh, and then they disappeared for a while um, went in separate ways or whatever so I'm happy they're back mm-hmm. uh, Grant have you watched the match this week when we were recording with the North yet at all? I have and it was absolutely mind blowing and to think 
this is a big thing as well for Chris Sabin. This is a man that is on his third ACL reconstruction and he is still pulling it off big time. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. I think uh, them coming back at this particular time is a big thing because if I don't know what you guys have thought of the last few days, what's seen this stuff, but it looks like TNA's just or Impact Wrestlers and Outcalls just just been given a boost of adrenaline out of absolutely nowhere, and they seem to have just like came right back into the spectrum. Mm. I mean, they were highlighting like how how the North have you know become the longest reigning like t- uh, Impact Wrestling tag champions and stuff. Oh, and then, they're, they're so good. They're, yeah, if they were wrestling in any other company in the world you would they would be right in the talking point but because they've been in TNA they've just kind of flew under the radar a lot of people I bet I see what you mean about you know TNA's had a well Impact has had a a huge resurgence uh, since like Slammiversary but I think part of that is down to um, like former WWE guys making the jump over because you've got the Good Brothers on there now you've got uh, you've got Heath uh, on there you've got Deonna Parazzo as well who's made waves in the knockouts division like, but um, seeing the Motor City Machine Guns coming back, you know, when the tag, the wrestling tag team scene is, it's always been about like uh, the elite, the Young Bucks, um, Bullet Club, and obviously WWE talent like New Day, Undisputed Era, all these tag teams are the ones that are making waves. But having, it's great to see a resurgence on one of the sort of classic TNA tag teams of Motor City Machine Guns. One, one thing that's always annoyed me, was uh, Chris Saban gets such a raw deal when they put that TNA title on him. They just kind of oh, horrible. They kind of just gave him it for like a week or two. It was just kind of like, here you go. You've been with us for so many years, and then we're just going to give it back. It's like give him an actual run. Uh, he sounds like he's the the Christian of TNA. Uh, well, it, uh, well, Christian was in TNA, so. Um. <laughs> Well, that backfired. <laughs> but you, you get what I mean. It's like Christian in WWE getting his first World Heavyweight title, but then losing it two days later to Randy Orton. That's what yeah, that reminds me of. But they at least they at least kind of ran with that one with Christian and Orton having the feud. Saban just kind of got it, and then they kind of they get chucked in some random angle with Velvet Sky at the time. Mm. And I think they I think he left not long after that. Actually, I think that's when he just kind of and this is this is him back in TNA for since then. But they are. It's an example of when you put two guys who are good together <coughs> and it just works, you know. Does the absolute ticket, but they are ve- they are two very good choices, actually, Grant. I mean, I know a lot of the guys aren't really the biggest on Japanese wrestling, but I think, personally, that Takahashi could be New Japan's breakout star of the post-pandemic era. I think, I think he's going to be the big one going forward. That's your, your that's your future junior to take over Liger's les- legacy, as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. I I think he's the guy that's going to eventually. I think they might. He's currently obviously feuding now with Evil in a way, but I think they'll hold off on his win until they've got proper crowds again. I know they've got crowds in Japan, but they'll save that for a big occasion. Yeah, maybe well, like, definitely. Uh, if, if, is the G1 happening? Because if it's happening, he's going to be the G1 winner, hands down. Well, We've still not heard anything about it, and a wee cheap plug, me and Scott will be doing a new East Feats West soon, so we'll be talking about that. Interesting, <laughs> but no, it's two fantastic choices, very good going there. I'm going to throw now to David Hockney. Mm-hmm. David, who's your wrestling hero? Well, this is actually one of the guys that um, actually made me start watching wrestling on a regular basis, and I'd heard so much about him 
and he actually was in the first live match I, I watched fully. Like I'd seen clips of wrestling here and there, but this was the first match I, I properly sat down and you know took it all in. And that man is Eddie Guerrero. Like, uh, and the first match I watched was him versus JBL in the steel cage match on SmackDown. <laughs> so one of the, the the key phrases that stands out to me is, um, I think it was during the, the very controversial stand up for WWE campaign, where I think Matt Stryker was saying, uh, when I was little, my dad used to, my dad said to me, Would, do you want to see someone fly? And he obviously was referring to Superfly Jimmy Snuka jumping off the, the steel cage with the splash. And I think what I saw in this match pretty much echoed what that that sentence was, where Eddie Guerrero did that frog splash from the cage. And I think, wow, like this guy is is fantastic. And it wasn't just the fact that he is an outstanding performer, uh, because you know he'd been in he'd been through WCW, he spent some time in ECW as well, uh, and he was an outstanding like cruiserweight wrestler because he wasn't the biggest guy either. But you know he could go with with big guys in the ring. Uh, but what what I really like the most about Eddie Guerrero is his really um, contagious personality. You know, it's like if if he smiles, you can't help but smile. And he has that really he has that charisma about him that just it's makes him a very likable guy. And whatever whatever he did, he sort of did his own way. Mm-hmm. Like with his with his entrance, you know, he comes out with the low rider. And so I thought that was I thought that was the coolest entrance like I'd seen anybody do, and um, with the the hydraulics and the low rider as well, that was just like an additional nice little cherry on top. So yeah, I think there's, there's not much else to say really aside from his you know the fact that he was an outstanding wrestler, he had an outstanding larger than life personality, and I still remember when he turned heel in his feud with Rey Mysterio, like that was probably one of the the saddest times I ever felt when I was watching wrestling because it just absolutely broke my heart to see someone who was so universally admired just just turn to the dark side and you know have this vengeful vendetta against Rey Mysterio and I couldn't really look at him the same way until he started you know coming around to sort of face side again but unfortunately that was uh just before his death and that hit a lot of people like very hard and I was one of those people you know because I, know, I I did have the the chance to see him live as the aforementioned live event with where Stone Cold was the ref. So I, I'm really pleased that I was able to get there. But he was one of those people who was just taken away from us too soon. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. Uh, Quacky, when you talk about a guy with charisma, uh, not many people had more charisma than Eddie Guerrero. No, um, he. he he just had this way of doing things like he would do. I mean, lie, cheat and steal, let's be honest, that should be something that a heel does when you talk about like Ric Flair, dirtiest player in the game. However, this guy just made it his own and made it so funny that he was actually doing it to make the heels look stupid and stuff like that. And even when lie, cheat and steal was applied on him, he made it in a way that you connected with him in whatever way you always connected with him at an emotional level. The whole thing with I'm your papi with Dominic, a terrible story, like, absolutely terrible. Like, I bet he made, he made it. He exactly, made it. that's my point. It's so terrible that you should, you should not be sitting down on a Saturday morning. That's when I used to watch SmackDown. On a Saturday morning, 
to to watch this program on a kid and seeing whether as which dad will climb the ladder to retrieve his custody like nobody nobody should sit down and watch that yeah you can argue we we used to watch jeremy kyle show which was the same level on gutter television but at least <laughs> this one was totally differently i mean i look back and laugh at it but we shouldn't be looking at that as as humor but it just did and it was just the way he was with certain things so yeah good shout david Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Grant, in wrestling, you see so many guys who are either a good good face, bad heel, good heel, bad face. Eddie Guerrero is one of those rare talents who has an absolute amazing face and an absolutely amazing heel. Oh yeah, it was unmistakably one of the best. And when it came to his like, heel antics, well, what could be heel antics, I still think one of the favourite, funniest spots that he would do, and it's been copied by so many people since was slamming a chair on the ring when the ref wasn't looking, throwing the chair to the other person and then dropping to the deck as if to go, he hit me with that. It was always hilarious. <laughs> Especially that one with uh, Mr. Kennedy in his last match. Like, that's still... I mean, what a way... I mean, sad that it was his last match, but what a way to go out, you know, with those classic tactics. And it was the way... And it was the way he kind of did it as well with uh, his stuff with China. You know, he was meant to be a really bad guy then. But everybody loved it. They just kind of got that organicness to it as well. It was just just all the wee things he did. I mean, calling her Mama Sita, and it just kind of clicked. Yeah, it's kind of like um, you know people are saying that you know Angel Garza sort of echoes uh, that sort of character that Eddie had. You know, he acts as like a bit of a heartthrob with who's just who's his charisma. Like that's what. And I remember he still had that. You know, when he was with China, I think it was um, like around sort of Backlash 2000. Uh, like he was in a he was scheduled to be in an impromptu match and he still had his tuxedo on. Like, he just went with it. Mm-hmm. Oh, he really did go with it, but Strack, I mean, we've talked about his kind of comedy moments, but he had so many great memorable matches as well, even when he wasn't in the, in the limelight. I mean, you'll probably remember very fondly his feud in 2002 with Rob Van Dam. I mean, it's not even his feud with like, Rob Van Dam. I remember even when he wasn't in the limelight and he was in WCW. And the whole cruiserweight thing, these feuds with like Dean Malenko and Rey Mysterio back then. And I would actually even say Eddie was one of my heroes for that because that was kind of what got me into wrestling because it was always, you watch wrestling, it was like Hogan and like big guys just kind of lumbering about the ring. And then you see guys like Eddie, who isn't the biggest, and he isn't the, the most built, and the stuff they were doing was, I'm like, that's more entertaining to me than watching Hulk Hogan do two body slams and a leg drop. Mm-hmm. But yeah, when he done that, people lost their fucking minds. Uh, yeah, Eddie Guerrero does a top rope hurricane runner. The same fans are like, oh, well, you're like, I'd love to see you fucking do that. But some of the stuff he did in WCW, he pulled off quite well. He did the Latino World Order stuff as well when he was feeling a bit dejected with his direction there as well. Uh, there was the radicals at the start of WWE as well, you know. It just seemed to even it took him that long to get the spotlight. But everything he was doing beforehand, I don't think he ever did anything bad in his career up until then. No, he was I actually. No, nah, I wouldn't say so. Sorry, Dave, what were you saying? Uh, sorry, no, I was. I was just saying, like even when he was acting as a heel, it was very sort of like a comedic heel. You know, it wasn't like a dark, vengeful heel, and you know, people still. It's one of those heels that people cheer for, like, and there's a lot of them today. So it was, um, 
he sort of just encapsulates the role perfectly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Ryan, I think where a lot of these hero guys were mentioning, everybody has the moment, the landmark moment where you look back on, you feel inspired as a fan watching them. And to many with Eddie Guerrero, it was No Way Out 2004, where he beat Brock Lesnar for the world title. I don't think to many people there's not a more emotional end to a pay-per-view, especially a pay-per-view like No Way Out, than that one where he won that world title. That is my second favourite match of all time. I love that match, I love the story of the match, I love all the build-up before it, how Brock was so arrogant, he didn't even see Eddie as a threat. Um, Eddie was sort of overlooked, Brock was too busy focusing on Goldberg, it was almost like Eddie was like a second, um, a third wheel should I say. Um, Ed Guerrero, you know, had the whole story of being away because, you know, he was in rehab and had all the drug problems. So he comes back and he wins it um, in front of his family and stuff. Place goes mental, um, absolutely brilliant. And uh, in that beautiful world title it had as well. And I mean, I wasn't on your show where you talked about your favourite titles, but that's my favourite title. That undisputed championship that he won that night. Um, standing there on the, the commentator's table with the flag, you know, everybody just everybody in the building happy for him. You know, nowadays you get some wee smart mark, pure booing him or something. Um, but it was just, it was a brilliant moment. Uh, and he had, had a good run in the title. I know it wasn't the longest run in the world, but he had a, a good match at WrestleMania 20 with Kurt Angle. I love and that the match. And with JBL. Um, the, the bloodbath with JBL. Judgment um, Day. <laughs> aye, Judgment Day, where he just, he bladed himself with a samurai sword or something. Um, <laughs> it was and it was, just, <laughs> it was It was great. I loved his title run. He was a good champion. Even his celebration on the SmackDown after it, where he came out with all the bones and confetti and stuff, and he walked through the crowd. Um, mm-hmm. ah, it was brilliant, what a moment and he definitely, definitely deserved it for his career he had up till that point. I, I know you you mentioned there, Ryan, all the things he kind of, he was in the crowd with his fans, he had with his family as well, he had the flag, but I remember the tribute, when they, sh- the bit they showed in the tribute video, where he's backstage, he's got the title and it's him and Vince, and it's that way he's just kind of holding the title and Vince is like a proud dad. It's just quite a thing, because you can obviously feel how big a moment it is for you know, as for Eddie, and obviously, we we'll say deservedly Vince gets a lot of stick for a lot of things. But when he has, we see that side of Vince, it kind of makes you feel how much he kind of cares for a lot of guys in a way. Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, Eddie um, and Vince, I know what you're talking about. Vince is crying, I think, or he's trying to hold back tears, and Eddie's sort of got the, the title tucked out in his chest, and he gives mm-hmm. him a sort of big hug, like I just said, like a dad. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Vince obviously has his guys who. He knows and he, he trusts to do a good job. And obviously, he's seen something in Eddie because even when Eddie wasn't, you know, world champion or he wasn't in the main event, he was always being used. He was always doing something. So he was obviously still relevant. And Vince must have liked him because I don't think there was ever a point really where Eddie wasn't on television. Obviously, when he was away with injuries or, or rehab or whatever, but he was always doing something, as we said, the Latino Heat stuff. Um, the stuff with China, the stuff as European champion, um, his rivalries with, you know, Benoit and stuff and, and Rey Mysterio and when he was in a tag team with Chavo and stuff, but like he was always doing something, he was consistent throughout his career. Uh, and Dave obviously mentioned you, you were hit quite hard, as obviously this is your hero, we're talking about, about Eddie Guerrero's, his actual death in 2005. I mean, mm. I know me personally, I don't know about the rest of you guys, but what was... I, I felt that this was the biggest, my biggest shock, one of the biggest shocks I felt personally as a wrestling fan at that point in time. Because I remember TNA had a pay per view on the Sunday 
and they had this they had a thing on the they just kind of announced on the website that like, we are sad to hear about Eddie Guerrero's death and I'm thinking like are they talking about the same Eddie Guerrero but then obviously it turned out it was actually him and that that raw that tribute raw that was a that's a deep raw that I'll never forget personally as a fan of though, but the rest is what you think mm. well, I'm pretty sure Vince McMahon said that night that the performers were under no obligation to perform tonight but they also stressed that you know Eddie would want the show to go on and you know so they they did just that you know because like the first match as well was Big Show and Kane versus Eminem and I, Big Show was one of those guys who took it like took it quite heavily like you could see his face you know he was really really sad about it but yeah, he still went out and performed uh, in memory of his friend. Like, that is, I think. I mean, if that doesn't show you know, how much of an influence Eddie had on his on his colleagues as well. But just to sort of uh, quickly touch on another thing, his DVD, "The Cheating Death, Stealing Life." I think that's probably the most insightful documentaries I've watched. You know, talking about his substance abuse, his marital problems, and how he was able to bounce back from it all. Like, it it really is quite a, an inspirational story. Sorry. Mm-hmm. No, I definitely, it, it really is. I mean, it's kind of like that one. Like, I remember, you could just tell the reaction to a lot of people. I mean, there's a big, a lot of people say you had that feud with JBL, it felt really real, but him and JBL were actually really good friends from what I heard. And mm-hmm. I think that JBL always wanted to kind of end against Eddie. That's why we kind of, I think we saw it was JBL that would take the pin to Chavo in the SmackDown as a kind of a tribute to him, so... See, yeah. in addition, I've got to add, last week AEW Fighter Fest, throughout the Ruthless Aggression area, I hated this woman because the character she had and the fact that I was a younger wrestling fan, I hated her. But see, he, seeing Vicky Guerrero coming out, I was laughing and crying. It was so good just to see her. And that music of, excuse me, but trapped out, like a modern remix of it, it's just perfect <laughs> for her. And the whole Guerrero name is just so iconic. And it's because of the work he's put in and Vicky's carrying on very, very splendidly. Vicky's went, Vicky has came a long way since that aforementioned ladder match for custody where she completely misses her spot to which point that you can hear Eddie going where the fuck is Vicky <laughs> I mean you can forgive her for her spot in that and the fact that they're still having a ladder match for the custody of a child so let's, let's please forgive her for that I wonder what happened to that child <laughs> he grew up to look like Walter he's <laughs> 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 to be Samoa Joe <laughs> he's, um, he's he's currently helping his father go through his uh, rehab for his lost eye he's going to be growing eye it's going to be a miracle <laughs> mm. oh god like, uh, we'll, we'll like, hey, hey dad what should we watch this should we watch a film tonight about the king and I <laughs> I wow. can't watch it and I'm blind <laughs> <laughs> anyway Dave you're I ruining the, Dave you're ruining the fact that you made a fine choice here. No, Eddie Guerrero is a yeah. I'll pipe down on the, the bad jokes here Eddie Guerrero is definitely one that would pick a lot of people's ones, but that has been the first three choices for our wrestling heroes. If you stay tuned after the break, well, please stay tuned after the break. We'll have the rest of the panel's wrestling heroes, so it'll be Kwaku, Ryan, and Strack talking about their wrestling heroes. But we're going to take a short break and we're going to come back with them. We'll see you in a bit. Hello, folks. I'm Nathan Fisher. And I'm Chris Murray. Join us on the Monday Night Rewind as we look back on every head to head episode of Dowdy Raw and Dowdy Nitro. 
find us on the brand new Suplex Retweet Extra feed available on all good podcasting sites. Jim, of all time, who's your favorite? I know you're close to these guys. Do you have a favorite? Are you allowed to have a favorite? Sure, I'm a fan. You know, I'm still I'm unabashedly a fan of uh, pro wrestling and all other sports and entertainment. Uh, Austin is my guy because we became great friends, and uh, he was the guy that he and he became the perfect uh, uh, fan favorite to Vince McMahon's perfect villain. The Austin McMahon era was amazing. I think those guys, along with other, a lot of other really hardworking people, uh, created a $160 million IPO that uh, launched the WWE into a publicly traded company, which is doing very well right now with their digital network and all those things. So Austin kind of was a point guy, but he had a lot of good teammates with him, but he would be the number one guy in my book. Well, I always loved Rowdy Roddy Piper, of course. Yeah. Piper's pit, so many seminal moments in the history of wrestling went down there. That's when uh, the giant turned on the Hulkster. I still am not over that one emotionally. I always wondered this, though, when Piper's in the conversation, I think of his wingman, Cowboy Bob Orton. Do you know medically? I know you're not a doctor, Jim, but you no, know. No, but I played one on television. Did you? Oh, okay, yeah. then maybe you can't help me out with this. Yes. He had that broken forearm oh. for like for like 12 oh. years, but the cast didn't even like cover his hand. It was just like he had that cast on forever and that never healed up. Well, first of all, Dave, you're really overthinking this. You're really overthinking this because you just don't know the intricacies of an athletic arm break. Yeah, maybe that's just I'm not and at I think that he, level. Maybe he right? rebroke it several times, but he seemed to always find a use for it. Mm-hmm. When the referee's back was turned, it was very coincidental. That was strange <laughs> that he did it. Somehow the his bouts did off, and now that you mentioned that, I I, rec- I realize that yeah, he did use that thing a lot as a weapon. I signed his son Randy Orton to a contract at WWE, my best recru- recruiting class. Randy Orton, John Cena, Brock Lesnar, uh, uh, Dave Batista. And Shelton Benjamin. There were, I had five guys in that one class that all became wow. big-time stars. Yeah, and guys, some of those guys have broken out five beyond stars, the world. Five-star guys. Yeah, awesome. The Rich Eisen Show, weekdays at noon Eastern on Audience. Hello, my name's Jack Graham. Hello, my name's Scott McLeod. And I'm David Hockney. You can catch us hosting one of the greatest shows in the history of podcasting, Saturday Draft Live. You can tune in every Saturday to see who on the podcast has the best chance of winning the latest season of our Fantasy Draft. As always, you can catch Saturday Draft Live on the Suplex Retweet Extra feed on your preferred podcasting platform. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex Retweet. Welcome back to Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. I'm Stephen Wilson. I'm joined by Quacko, David Grant, Ryan Strack, and we are talking about our wrestling heroes here at Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet as we once again try to give you some nice, light-hearted wrestling entertainment during this horrendous 2020. Uh, in the first half of the show, we've had myself, Grant, and David give our wrestling heroes. We've had myself with Stone Cold Steve Austin. We've had Grant with Takahashi and the Motor City Machine Guns, and we've had David with Eddie Guerrero. We're now going to go to our own Kwaku Aji. Kwaku, who's your wrestling hero for the listeners? Yes. I, I was wondering why there was a long pause there. I thought I was going to get like a grand introduction. Or a countdown would do, actually, because, let's be, after all, my guy is the Ayatollah of Rock and Roller. 
the mark, the creator of the list, the only guy that can make a scarf and jacket sparkly and all cool, the only guy that can bury himself and put people over. Yes, I'm talking about Chris Jericho. Uh, not a surprise to listeners of the show that you would pick uh, Y2J himself. Uh, what was the point? Obviously, Jericho is a man who's been through so many incarnations. What was the point that drew you to him as a fan? His start at WWE, but I need to go back to my MSN days because this is how much of a fan of Chris Jericho I was. It was really Chris Jericho that really got me into wrestling. Just seeing the whole countdown thing of Countdown to the Millennium and then eventually seeing Y2J. My MSN username was Y2K, cause why not? It rhymed with 2000 Y2K, you're 2000. Also, the fact that my name is Quacko with a K. Not a Q, despite some people may think, but it's actually a K. So I actually made it Y2K. The fact that whenever he did the lion salt and he would always hold his ribs as if he was injured, I started to pretend that my ribs were injured or broken at times, so I would hold my ribs. No idea why looking back, but at that time it made complete and utter sense. But anyway, I thought I was being cool. And just the way he was on the microphone, the fact that he was the first undisputed champion, some people may debate his championship reign, I don't care because I love the man and if you look at him now right the whole time when we have the way wrestling has evolved people that were looked up to in the past sometimes aren't looked up to in the same way you may find a divide between people where they will say oh this guy's a dope like, like I don't buy into this I think it's a whole lot of poppycock but anyway they will say that oh this guy's a WWE guy oh this guy's too indie this guy's too this you don't really hear any of that for Chris Jericho because he's managed to capture the imagination of so many people and he's managed to keep himself not just relevant but always the main event guy even when he's not the main event guy in WWE's eyes, when he was rolling with Kevin Owens and stuff like that, he was seen as, yeah, he was rolling with the champion, but kind of they kind of made it out as if he was like the valley of Kevin Owens. The fans still had them as the main guy, so much so that when it was Kevin Owens versus Chris Jericho for the United States Championship, everyone was screaming out, this should have been for the Universal title. This should have been the main event of that year's WrestleMania. Instead, yes, okay, fair enough. It was a good match at the time. Brock Lesnar versus Goldberg, but that's another thing. He's just... The, the way he is, now looking at his run in AEW, he's on commentary a lot and stuff like that. And he's just so fantastic. He, he has this thing where, and I've said it before, he put whatever he does, he's always doing it in a way to put people over. He can say something that should bury them, but it puts them over. Name example, Sugar Dunkerton now known as Pineapple Pete. His career is now taken off in AEW and he's becoming the talk of the show and stuff like that. He can put himself, bury himself, but still put people over. And he can put people over if he really wants to. It just like says it straight up, just like he's doing with uh, Dr. Britt Baker, DND, just to get her full name in. He's just absolutely fantastic at everything he does. Even getting covered in orange juice and then wiping himself down with orange casting scar and towel. He made himself look cool doing that. It's just fantastic. I love the guy. Yeah, definitely. 
Ryan, um, throughout the history of wrestling, I think it's fair to say we've had a lot, there's a lot of one-dimensional characters out there who have done, they do one thing and you, they're kind of typecast for the rest of their career. I think Chris Jericho is admired so much by so many people because he's evolved the times and he seems to have so many good incarnations of himself. Yeah, I mean, he is almost 50 years old, I think. And to me, he's still in his prime. Like, maybe not physically, but it doesn't matter because he's so good at being Chris Jericho that he can go over anywhere in any situation. Um, I remember when he first, when he left WWE, people were kind of wondering what was going to happen. And then when he showed up in that video um, in New Japan, it was like, incredible it made people of me who didn't really watch Japanese wrestling tune in and that was the point obviously because it was a draw over there and he was doing stuff he was doing the press conference he was, he was yelling at all the press he was swearing he was shouting he was being totally different from WWE Jericho but still awesome still incredible um, and then when he went to EEW I mean that was a gamble at the time um, obviously I'm sure he got a, a good amount of money for it and stuff but he could have went WWE and get a, a nice wee contract for it but he wanted to do something new mm-hmm. he wanted to do something that never been done before and be the face of a new company um, and since he's been in AEW I think he's done a tremendous job every time he's on the mic it is gold him and Sammy Guevara have got some of the best um, chemistry I've seen with Seth Gods. I mean it's just great I mean he's catchphrases he's 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 um, He's a little bit of the bubbly. All these things that happened organically. He knows how to take wee things and just run with it. And that's what I could just say there, putting people over. I mean, I don't know where we'll make it in Japan. Um, but AEW, I mean, Orange Cassidy this time. But whoever he works with, it's because you feel he wants to work with them. Mm-hmm. And because he's so ahead of the, the game, like, he seems to see all these trends. Like, he worked, like, even with social media and stuff, like, he seems to be the one that wants to evolve and just ready to rest on his laurels and just be Chris Jericho and just get a paycheck for WWE. Like he'll go and do new things, not even just wrestling things. Obviously, you know he's in he's in Fozzie, he's in the band, and he's got an acting career and stuff now as well. Um, everything he does, he does well. Um, and to me, he is the goat. He is the greatest of all time. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You mentioned obviously that point where he showed up on that video. We. Kenny Omega, I mean Grant, you're a New Japan correspondent. Uh, you've had guys in New Japan in the past, you've had big names like Kurt Angle, Brock Lesnar, you can even class guys like M- MVP and that type of stuff. Guys who are well known in this American scene didn't quite get the same buzz as that moment where Chris Jericho challenged Kenny Omega. It just shows the star he is. Oh yeah, it was absolutely unreal and I still remember, I've only ever seen Jericho live in person once and it's one of his most memorable appearances. September 1st, 2018, disguised himself as Pentagon and they ambushed Omega at All In and I lost my mind in the crowd at that. I could not believe it. Absolutely insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, 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 it just does everything kind of right and Strack, as the guys have said as well, his ability to be quite selfless as well, I think at the same time, Ryan mentioned the stuff of Orbs Cassidy, we've had even the examples when he was he kind of jobbed at WrestleMania to Fandango, he's a very, very selfless wrestler, which I think is what a lot of people kind of admired him. He's not kind of all in it for himself, which we've maybe seen in years past with the likes of Ultimate Warrior and Hulk Hogan. I think the thing with Jericho is he's got a lot of self-confidence. 
because that's the thing with a lot of wrestlers they don't want to put somebody else because they've got this fear that they'll lose their spot they'll they'll go oh this guy will be a better be better than me in this match and if I put him there I'll start moving down he'll start moving up and then I'll, I'll get like no Jericho's kind of I'll put the guy here I'll put him there but I know what I can do so I've got no I've got no problem with that which is a way a lot of the guys should be because that's how you've got guys in the WWE who've been there for almost 20 years and you're like what else can you do with them there's nothing there's nothing you can do with them it's you're pretty much done but with Jericho because he's got that self-confidence where he's like I'll put this guy I'll put Orange Cassidy there I'll put Cody and he's done a few high matches I think he's done Darby Allen as well mm-hmm. um, maybe then he's done it was the Jungle Boy mm-hmm. it was a really really good match but it's, I think he's his self-confidence as well kind of helps him like evolve with the times because I mean who, what other wrestler could say They've put over a jacket, a plant, a scarf, a list. I mean, the, the guys... No champagne. It, it's, aye, champagne. It's just... Look, it's, I don't even like Guns N' Roses. They see his t-shirt that came out with the inner circle with the Guns N' Roses mock. I wanted that t-shirt. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't even like Guns N' Roses. It's just such a cool t-shirt. Did you know, he owns a boat as well, didn't he? Yeah, he's got the cruise of Jericho. That, that's yeah. the thing I was going to say. You know you've made that as a guy when you have, you organise a private yacht to have wrestling shows on it, right? And your show is going on international TV when you're meant to be a bad guy and everyone on the boat is singing your song. You know you've made it. To his music, and yeah. he is world champion. That yeah. you've wrestler done doesn't even reach that level or Hulk Hogan, so fuck yeah. them. It's Chris Jericho. Yeah. Uh, and, and David, the thing is, a lot of these wrestlers were kind of talked about. You can pick out one incarnation of it, like Stone Cold Steve Austin, my guy, for example. He was the ringmaster, but nobody cared about him for the ringmaster. They loved him when he was the Texas Rattlesnake. Mm-hmm. But you look at a guy like Chris Jericho, you're like, I loved him as Y2J. I loved him when he was doing the list. I love him as the Devil God, as he is right now. He's just, there's, there's not one universal part of his career that everybody likes which is just shows how adaptable he is and just why many people would say he is the GOAT for his adaptability the guy's a chameleon like I, I still remember I think he was probably one of my favourite parts of Monday Night Raw when I started watching it and you know the matches he had you know is the feud with Shawn Michaels over the years still some of my favourite matches including that both, one at No Mercy both 2008 both his feuds with Shawn Michaels were great yeah, uh, that ladder match, No Mercy 2008, maybe a PG show, but still one of my favorite matches today. And what I really like about Chris Jericho is that he has one of those personalities that, you know, everybody just loves to see. He, he, he just naturally responds to any situation he's given in. Like, and he always, even if he is playing a, a villain, he always adds that little human slash comedic aspect to it like when Michael Cole throws up in his shoes at the decade of Smackdown party he pulls off like the face anybody else would pull off Uh, and when he had the light up jacket you know I thought to myself you know what if I stick Christmas lights around my leather jacket and you know do something like that like that's how that's how much he maybe want to do those sorts of things but my favorite some of my favorite Chris Jericho moments was when um he came back in, I think it was 2015, 2016, and 
he brought in the list of Jericho. And I was very grateful to have seen that live when Monday Night Raw was filmed in Glasgow. And Jericho just had the crowd, the entire crowd, who was always a very raucous crowd, he had them in the palm of his hand. Because he uses anytime he used one of his catchphrases like, oh, you're a, you're a stupid idiot, or uh, you just made the list. Like, people, he would just turn that around into a sort of heelish tactic that would get him to boo, get people to boom. Like, even though you guys are all stupid idiots, hey, just like everybody in Glasgow here tonight, like, you th- that is, He's so quick-witted and he's very responsive to, you know, how he carries himself. And I think that's what makes him so universally liked. And I, I can see why he's Quacko's favorite of all time. The guy just, he, he goes with the times and he just does it so well. It's, it's the- I'm, I'm just going to say the like when he, at AEW, when he was in, in the inner circle in the VIP box and the Nightmare family were chasing him and MJF was at the front and he just went, ooh, I'm about to be scared of a scarf. I burst out laughing. And <laughs> he's just like, he's like, what kind of idiot wears a scarf? <laughs> it's just the, and there's the, come on. He got over a segment with the prices right in Bob Barker. Come on. It's a skill, it's does. You can list, you could, we could be here all day listing moments of Chris Jericho. He is that good. He's still doing it right now. He's gonna be doing it for a while. He's dominating the 80s to 49 demo, even though he's nearly. <laughs> he's not even gonna be in the demo soon. I love that we got that, that promo. I loved uh, it. <laughs> I loved it. And not many people. And you, it's one of those taboo subjects where you're not meant to talk about demos or ratings and stuff. But he's he's like the one guy who could get away with it. Uh, it it's great stuff, but. It's, it's, it's a fine it's a fine choice from Quacko it's a very very good one uh, we're going to now move on to Ryan Wilson uh, Ryan who's your choice for your wrestling hero right my choice is this was a hard one because um, Austin was one of my choices but he's already been taken um, I would say my favourite wrestler growing up and you know possibly of all time Mick Foley um, oh. Cactus Jack Man- Mankind Dude Love Whatever. Um, my, I said earlier, my second favourite match was Brock Lesnar versus Eddie Guerrero, but my first, my number one favourite match of all time is Cactus Jack versus Triple H at Royal Rumble Street Fight. Aye. Um, to me, Mick Foley, just amazing. Like, he's, he's body of work when you really look at it. The Hell in the Cell match with Undertaker, obviously, um, matches with Austin. Um, when he was Dude Love the this whole feud with Triple H where he really went out of his way to make Triple H look good because that's when Triple H sort of first became the champion and they really needed like a big rivalry to really put him over as the, the top guy and I think Mick was so selfless at doing that and he gave him that great match and then the Hell in a Cell match at No Way Out after that um, to me Mick Foley just even his uh, ECW stuff you know his Kane Dewey promos and stuff he was cutting amazing promos way ahead of their time having all these dangerous death matches in Japan with Terry Funk and stuff um, and also when he was Mankind he was doing the comedy stuff so he could really like Jericho do it all mm-hmm. uh, definitely uh, Grant you look at a guy like Mick Foley not your traditional technical wrestler but just a guy who was able to connect with the crowd in different sorts of ways oh yeah it was. he could just really had a there's, there's no one like him. He, he was, he could do hardcore stuff. He could do comedy. 
he was a complete madman, but also I, I was also a big fan of the fact that you could get a Royal Rumble and get three appearances by him. <laughs> it's like it's like here comes mankind. Oh, he's been eliminated. Here comes the love. He's been eliminated. I can just picture him in the back, like quickly. I need to change. I need to change. I need to get ready. I'm coming back out again. Mm-hmm. I think it was when he came out as Dude Love the third, for the third one, and I think it's uh, the, co- the commentators were like uh, they were quite confused. Like, is he not being here? <laughs> I'll be honest. I I just came back into wrestling at that point. I thought it was three separate guys. <laughs> I didn't know it was the same dude. I thought, oh, WWE's got triplets. <laughs> Strat, <laughs> come on. <laughs> oh man! But they, they kind of did. They made use of his three personas really well. I don't. You remember that segment where he had with him and Triple H when he came back as Cactus Jack, and it's oh, mankind that did love in, having the interaction with each other. Ah, oh, it's pretty. You, you look back at all these characters, I mean, even Dude Love, who was probably the least revered of the three characters, but people still remember so much about Dude Love as well, as being the fun-loving guy. Ah, it was, it was good, <laughs> the, the, the Mankind, when he first started, I thought we were going to tag him with Goldust back in, like, 96. That was, I think I can honestly kind of like a glimpse into the attitude either because it seemed like he was going to do the whole serial killer thing. Have you ever watched the Undertaker versus Goldust in your house nine? In your house nine, I'm sure it is. Um, after the match, Mankind sitting stroking Goldust's wig and talked to it like it's a person. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to sleep tonight. <laughs> his, uh, his debut vignettes when he was in with the rats, that was some of the creepiest best video work at the same time that WWE's done to debut a guy especially somebody who as we've heard in various interviews we've seen online that Vince did not want to sign him Vince only did it as a favour to JR it's, <laughs> and look how that turned out Vince has always got the best for business <laughs> very true I think even I had no idea about that nah, he's, he's, I think he's Mick Foley said it himself in wow. interviews online that he the reason he wore a mask is because I think it was because Vince wanted to hide his face because he was that ugly. Oh dear. Oh, I'm always missing that. I know, that's a true story, eh? That's the same reason that Vince uh, fired JR after the Bell's palsy. Because uh, his face went all weird. Wow, is Vince sorry. a fucking oil paint, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> it looks like Randy Quinn melted. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. <laughs> oh, God. But, uh, Dave is a Andy Quinn, Dennis Quinn. What one am I thinking? Dennis Quaid? Dennis Quaid, I think you're thinking of. Oh, How many enemy minds with the alien thing? Oh, man. Uh, uh, inner, inner space, <laughs> was that Dennis Quinn? We're going you're off. yourself here, man. I don't know, I think we're losing <laughs> our train of thought here. We're going so I'm IMDBing this. Alright, while, <laughs> while, he's, while he's doing that, Dave, uh, yeah. you've got a guy. It's hard to kind of remember a guy whose career transformed so quickly and turned on its head so quickly just by saying, I'm going to allow myself to get chucked off of a giant structure. Uh, I mean, it's kind of, I mean, I'm not really sure how, maybe this is just me personally, but I'm not really sure how I could see Mick Foley as a bit of like a, as a hero character. I mean, I mean, a lot of people have said he's just nothing but a glorified stuntman, but I think it's, um, I think because maybe people saw him as like Mrs. Foley's baby boy, I think maybe they could empathize with him a lot more. But the the differences in characters and stuff, I think it's it's a, it's more a testament to Mick Foley and how 
how well he can adapt to to certain personas. Um, but I think at the same time, you know, people want to be want to have that shock factor when they're watching matches as well, especially when you know, for a guy well, who's that so was a sh- that was a shock factor that match. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, uh, but also the, the hardcore stipulations as well. Like everybody knew him as like uh, as a hardcore icon. I think people were more keen to see like what was he going to pull out next. So I think there was more a sense of intrigue around you know how how far will he go uh, to entertain us, and I, I can see why people would adore him for that. But me personally, I wouldn't consider him like a, a like a hero per se. But not not to take anything away from what the guys have said because he is actually a very very popular character and a very captivating one at that so oh Dennis Quaid there we go the man lost half an ear for her entertainment yeah Dave you need to have you watched that episode of Robbery wins the world title yes I have actually and it's probably one of the greatest moments ever it's so because you watch the full show he kind of he's not getting the title shot at the start and he gets the title shot and the match actually happens and it's the you want you want to cheer for him because every turn and angle, you know, he would he was always getting put down by the corporation, and even WCW tried to shoot it down. Uh, butts in the yeah, seats, Tony Schiavone angle, yeah. But he, I, I don't know. It's just, I mean, I, he, he's had some fantastic moments, definitely, no doubt about it. And I can see why people would see him as a hero. It's just not for me personally. I'm sorry. That's that's just the way it, I, I see it. Hogney just made the list. <laughs> uh, Ryan, what was the moment for you that kind of... What was what was the turning point for you on Mick Foley? Obviously, he's your hero. Well, as I said, it was probably the, the street fight at uh, No Way Out. Uh, not No Way, sorry, Royal Rumble. Um, I, I liked him before that, obviously. The whole, his whole sort of run as mankind, I liked. Um, the first rivalry he had with Undertaker, when he, he came out the casket, the casket match I had with him and stuff was all great. But I think when he did debut as Cactus Jack, uh, he alluded to it earlier when Triple H was in the ring and then Mankind was interviewing Dude Love on the Titantron and then Cactus Jack came out in Philadelphia in front of like, the ECW audience. Um, the place went mental for him and that was just on a, a regular episode of Raw. Um, they had a great hardcore match and they won it and I thought, this guy is cool. This guy is amazing. It's one of the Dude, best... It's one of the best... Most underrated matches on Raw history. That oh, certainly. <laughs> uh, it's a brilliant match. Um, and he gives him a pedal driver on top of that really weird looking table. Um, but uh, to me, the, the, the biggest moment was that, that match at the Rumble. I remember, like, I think that was the first time in WWE, and somebody could correct me if I'm wrong, where they used thumbtacks and barbed wire. Um, one of the first times. Aye, Triple H bled a fucking pig for him. Um, they've done. They've done the spot, you know, where he takes a pedigree to the thumbtacks and they're all sticking out his nose and his eye and stuff. And it was just so violent and so good. And I was sort of thinking to myself then, like, this guy done that to make Triple H look like the biggest heel, the uh, biggest face ever. Uh, not Did he not take thumbtacks at the uh, Hell in a Cell kind of thing? Ah, he did, but they took that in the back, didn't he? That was a choke slam. In the back, he had his face first. I don't think he's ever pedigreed. See that pedigree in the thumbtacks? I actually thought that's why he wore the mask. No, he wore the mask long before. He didn't didn't actually have the mask. He didn't actually take the mask off at that point. Uh, That that Royal Rumble, top to bottom, is one of the best 
cards oh. WWE's ever done. That was well. That's the point I was trying to get to. That was because of that match and because of the card in general. That was the first ever pay per view that I stayed up for. You know, I was a wee guy at the time. I don't know what age I was. Thirteen, fourteen. It was the first. It was the first Channel Four one as well, wasn't it? Aye. So I think I stayed up late. You know, and I think I had school the next day, but I didn't care. You know, I had to sneak into the living room when my parents were sleeping because they didn't want me to stay up to watch it. So my parents went to bed. I snuck in the living room and watched the whole pay-per-view like on very low volume in front of my TV you know just to glued to it just couldn't have exactly done the same so thing it's a good thing with that May Young segment as well oh aye, oh, aye, but aye, aye, I know and Jerry Lott that was well, I never saw that I didn't sleep that night that's the downside of that pay-per-view that's the one low point you know it's I'm like it's like, has very low point oh 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 you're nearly touching the ground oh punny very punny but no you got it I, it, it's a good point. He's got so many moments that you can kind of look back on. He's got the Royal Rumble with the free, the free obviously gimmicks. He's got winning the world title. He's got Hell in a Cell. I mean, you mentioned it, but the Boiler Room Brawl in '96 as well, where Paul Bearer turns an Undertaker. <laughs> you can list so many things that make some, you know. Uh, we've not even spoke about the Rock and Sock connection as well. One of the best Rock comedy tag teams going. Aye, when he when he was in the hospital with Vince. When he introduced soccer for the first time. And the, the clown. <laughs> this is quite ironic because earlier on I posted a video into the our group chat about um, his uh, cameo in 30 Rock. <laughs> he just randomly shows up and he's one of the pals in it. And he's like, he, he starts tweeting. It's a random, it's a really random bit of pop culture in it. But no, he, he's a, he is a very relatable. I think you could find so many people who would enjoy one of his aspects. My personal wins that moment when he wins the world title. It's Michael Cole's best ever commentary, like. Oh, definitely. Aye, definitely. <laughs> but, oh, no, no, actually, the, the, no, the dog poop one. When uh, Bulldog gets rock bottomed in the dog poop. Oh, with British Bulldog? Aye, that was the greatest Michael Cole bit of commentary. And the dog poop! The dog poop! <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but no, it's a very fine choice, no matter what Dave says, right? But very well okay. done. So yeah, that's a great choice of Mick Foley. And we're going to go to our final hero, which is Strat's one. So Strat, who are you going with? I'm going to have to go with AJ Styles. Yep. There's okay. just, there's, there's, there's no, a guy who's pretty much done everything. He's been, I mean, TNA, Triple Crown five times. He's been a Grand Slam champion twice. He's held, no. Uh, WWE title, he's held the uh, Intercontinental, the US. He's won the. He's, I'm just right. He's, I don't watch the Japan, but he has he's held their world title as well, hasn't he? Aye, he's he's a multiple in New Japan as well. He was massive there for Bullet Club. Aye, and I mean he's won the ROH title. He's won basically any company he, he's went to, he has won almost every title, and for good reason. I mean, as I say, like, Ed, like the cruiserweight division in WCW. I go into because that was my style of wrestling because I used to watch wrestling I would love to have done it but I was like I'm no 6 foot 4 I'm no 250 pounds I'm never gonna be and that's no my style but then as I got older and I seen like WCW and then I seen the X Division and I seen somebody like AJ Styles and I'm like ah, this is this is it this is what this is what I do this is what so I used to do kickboxing and tie boxing and I was really athletic I could do back flips I could do like a front, front flip and go back on my feet I could I was quite agility and then I seen something like AJ Styles was doing and then obviously the more sight of machine guns and I was like ah, this is 
this is the kind of wrestling I want to do. So this is what almost really inspired me to start wrestling was AJ Styles because of the what he done and the way he done stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was just something new. And it, yet again, he was world champion in TNA and he wasn't a six foot five and he wasn't a jacked up. It was just a, a, an indie guy who could go. No, it's a, it's a very fine choice. Uh, Dave, as a man who once described himself as having an AJ Styles bod, you could probably <laughs> agree. You could probably agree with this choice more than you agreed with the previous choice from Ryan. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm also a massive uh, fan of AJ Styles, I, and it also comes back to you know much like Motor City Machine Guns. The first time I saw AJ Styles was in as part of TNA's X Division, and like. If there was any reason to watch TNA wrestling, it would be because of AJ Styles. Like the guy was, well, for lack of a better word, phenomenal. Like he was. Like, as soon as I saw him, I thought this guy is, this guy's world championship material. Doesn't matter how big or how big he is or how how strong he is. But I also really liked his entrance as well, where he had the the waistcoat and the hooded jacket, and he actually walked under the the sort of sparkling pyro, like. That was the that, be, that's the best entrance in wrestling, is it not? Yeah, it's like that screams like this guy is a megastar. And oh, I didn't watch much of his uh, of his New Japan stuff, but you know his feud with Nakamura, you know, was heavily heavily praised. And it was I was so excited when he showed up in WWE as a surprise entrant in the 2016 Royal Rumble because I think oh buckle up because WWE's in for in for a real a real treat uh, with this guy. Uh, under their ranks and I often say as well any wrestler that I'm a massive fan of is the only reason I would get WWE merch because I don't have a lot I do have a few t-shirts but if I'm the only reason I will get a t-shirt of a particular superstar is because I'm a massive fan of them AJ Dave I'm the exact same as you Dave I've only got guys who are to me fucking outstanding I would never just get random merch because it looks nice yeah, I got that grey shirt he had. I think it was one of his first ones. The house, the house that AJ Styles built. Like I've got that. I've got that T-shirt, and you know he absolutely like any time he was on TV, whether it be TNA or WWE, he would always be the talking point. He'd always be the one to watch, and I'm so glad that he's part of a mainstream, a very mainstream company like WWE because I think it's been long, long overdue. And the first title he wins the WWE Championship, there was, I don't think there was any other title he could have gone for apart maybe, hmm. I mean, I'd, I'd, have, I'd have allowed it if he went for the Intercontinental title first, but he was deserving of so much more. And I'm glad that the first championship he won was the WWE title. Yeah, it's just yeah. amazing the fact that he, he went to WWE and they kind of just put him on velocity against the Hurricane. <laughs> no disrespect oh. to Shane Helm, but this guy was in the Indies all over the place, and he was it was kind of floating to TNA and becoming their their head guy. And WWE just went, "I oh, will just give my match with Velocity," and I'm like, "You've missed out so much there." Because imagine that he just because he just was, you know, he's past his prime, but his best years, his absolute best was about, I would say, 2000. Three to maybe two thousand and eight, mm. where he used to do shit, and it was just absolutely yeah. Again, you say phenomenal. He's, These matches with Abyss were just incredible. Yeah. And Samoa Joe as well. Ah, uh, the, the the best match I done the X Division show. The best match I have ever seen that's really hard to top was the triple threat with him, Joe, and Daniels. Amazing. 
that's that's that if you had to say to somebody top that 90% 99 of people couldn't top that in a match no matter how good they are or what company they're in oh definitely Quacko he's definitely AJ Styles in the current WWE roster he's one of those guys you feel like they chuck him in a match and he's going to do something good as we've kind of seen on the recent episodes of Smackdown where he's had those great matches with uh, Matt Riddle he's had a great matches with Daniel Bryan he's had a, also a great match with David's alter ego Drew Gulak mm-hmm Absolutely, with me, I never actually watched AJ Styles prior to his WWE run, so I kind of feel like Dave when it comes to most indie stars that go to WWE, but I'll, well, I'll leave that to him. Um, so I only got to see him in the setting. I knew there was a big buzz about him, but I didn't exactly know, so I had fresh eyes on him. And wow, what a start, and just the SmackDown in its modern era, having that run, when he had the the house that uh, the house that AJ Styles built, he was so instrumental in that. And SmackDown was just amazing when I had Shane McMahon and DB Daniel Bryan at the helm of it. Mm-hmm. It was just that just a land of opportunity. It was just such a great show. And I don't know if it got stifled because they thought, oh, hold on a minute, Raw's got to do better than SmackDown kind of thing. But at that time, it was just absolutely amazing. And just as you've mentioned, the matches he's had, the only shame thing is the run with Shinsuke Nakamura wasn't the best. Uh, I have to say that I'd agree. That was a letdown. Yeah, it just wasn't up there. It it really, really wasn't. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. it's one of them things. And even like when he. Going to Manchester and beating Jinder Mahal for the oh, WWE amazing. Championship. Yeah. Absolutely rock as a reception. I know David's now creaming in his pants at the thought of that, but ah, well, uh, that's another thing. But yeah, he's, he's just had a great run. He's so trusted, so much so that Undertaker is now, he had the final match with the Unwell. Obviously, to be uh, confirmed because we all know that it could be like Jay Z's retirement from hip hop or like David Campbell's retirement from ESSR, but that's another subject that we can talk about. And yeah. um, he's trusted to be that last match in such a unique way, in such a fantastic way. Mm-hmm. And we've kind of briefly touched upon his other runs in New Japan. Now, Grant, uh, when the Bullet Club first started off under the reign of then Prince David, now Finn Balor. It started off really, really well at that point in time, but when AJ came in and took the helm, that was the point to many people that Bullet Club, you know, went steaming ahead to become the faction that they became over the last few years. Oh yeah, that's that was the kind of like the big the big sort of turning point for them. And it was the fact that he didn't just immediately come in as leader, he kind of he was considered the Ring of Honor version of Bullet Club's leader. But Carl Anderson was managing the New Japan side because he was still mostly US contract. But the impact he made when he came in eventually beat Okada straight in, going to the top of the food chain, becoming the sixth non-Japanese champion in the title's history and the first since 2005. So it was like nine years since they had a foreign title holder for New Japan. And I mean, you touched upon it with Nakamura. His feud with Nakamura in WWE was a bit of a letdown. The Wrestle Kingdom 10 match, however, one of the best I've ever watched. Mm-hmm. By a mile. See, that, that was the letdown in WWE is because everybody was aware 
of AJ Nakamura in New Japan. So they had a lot of high expectations. And like fans are like as much as WWE wants to think, fans are not stupid. They they will be looking at other promotions and expect and seeing what two guys can pull off if they've, you know, faced each other before. But, you know, that's the problem with WWE living in its own little world. You know, they have to water everything down and make sure that they're the ones who are the innovators and the ones, you know, saying, oh, this is uh, this is the dream match. This is the first time ever. The, this is the historic and stuff. It's, uh, it's that it just really makes really makes me angry knowing that, you know, they could have had something magic with AJ Nakamura on WrestleMania. And to me, they dropped the ball with the club, Gallows and Anderson with styles they could have done so much more with that mm. oh, I mean, even the, fir- the first time they brought them together when the club first signed as well dropped the ball with that as well they randomly chucked the club onto Raw and left AJ on Smackdown that was a, a baffling one then as well but I think the thing as well struck with him is he's been chucked a fair bit of guff in his time as well especially during, in his time with TNA as good as obviously he was the first X Division star they put, they put in the world title scene but they did give him some absolute rubbish. They had him married to Karen Angle. He had that angle with the, I can't remember who it was, the, when he was helping. The affair. Him. The affair. Who was that? Who Aye, was that? he was apparently like pregnant. Aye, uh, he was cool as Lassie pregnant. He even took a shot at WWE. He's like, oh, apparently it's a good time to have an affair if your name's AJ. Meaning AJ Lee. <laughs> but, no, there was some, I mean, like, I hated, see when they tagged, well, never tagged, I'm sorry. When they put AJ with Ric Flair and his style, I bet he came up with the robe and high flying stuff just stopped and it just ground to a halt. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? Because he just became so boring and like, so, so safe. And I'm like, whose idea was this? Was this AJ's idea or was this management's idea? Because he'd done a great job before that to build him up when he had that run to the world title where he had the thing with, it was him and Sting. And his win felt big, and then the, and then Hogan and Bischoff came in, and Flair, and that came in, and that's obviously he's been put with Flair. And I mean, they, the, they even as well, they kind of gave him Flair as if Flair was his mic man, and I'm like, ah, he's there, he lies. AJ is actually good on the mic. He's shown that. Yeah. He's shown that in WWE. He's, he's probably cutting on the Undertaker, one of the last shows before the the lockdown. When he talked about Michelle, that was a good, that was a fantastic promo. Seeing the, the the match, the actual match, when the Undertaker drove up and he went, hey, does Michelle know you're at this late? I pissed myself. <laughs> absolute pissed myself. I was like, this is so funny. He's just ripping the absolute piss at him. But he is so good on the mic, but it just seemed like I didn't want to let him speak. I'm like, I don't get why. TNA wouldn't, but, sh- TNA wouldn't really let him speak much. I think he got a lot more time on them when he went to Japan. He kind of was given that more of a platform, and then WWE was given the same, just a, a bit more of a platform as well. So I don't know what it was, but I'd seen rumors that you know it's because they um, they didn't want him talking because his his accent was was too southern. I don't know if that's just a, a rumor or not, but I don't know. I'd seen I'd seen stuff floating around that his his Georgia his South South Georgia accent was just too thick. And his I want to speak the manager haircut. That one he developed in his late, in his late days at TNA. <laughs> and they hate the long hair. I fucking hate it. Aye, it was definitely better with short hair in like the mid two thousands. Somebody said this, and I couldn't stop laughing. I thought it's so accurate. 
How the fuck did AJ go from looking like a troubled teen to a troubled teen's mum? <laughs> it's like how men daily go to the same hairdressers. It's like so straight. That's the thing, he looks like a fucking L'Oreal advert. <laughs> yeah, but it's WrestleMania. Was it WrestleMania fair? WrestleMania 33 when he comes out when he faced Shane? And they came up f- out first and the winds everywhere and the hair's just like majestically blowing from side to side. <laughs> I was like, we had this debate before, it's like, who's got the better hair, AJ Styles or John Morrison? It probably is John Morrison, to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, like, that's another completely different debate all in, but no, I don't think there's many better wrestlers in the world than AJ Styles. He's no many, and I don't think there's many better wrestlers in the world to have proved it on every single stage. TNA, New Japan, WWE. You know, he's done it all. Well, you put AJ again. You put AJ. You could put AJ against literally anybody, and they'll rip the place down. I mean, has he had a match with Ricochet yet? Uh, yeah, yeah, he's had a few matches with Ricochet. Had them last year. I've done the chat. I've not really watched them either now. So, yeah, they should be tremendous. But I'm not heard anything about them. It was last year at SummerSlam they had the match. Yeah, it was. Oh, so it did. Back and forth US title feud. Yeah, although he did the year before he had a feud with Kevin Owens, but that didn't work out too well. I remember that but I mean I remember watching AJ back in the day in his match against Pac when Pac was young and I'm sure it was one PW down south and holy shit you'd look at this match going this this is like a computer game or something he's put cheat codes in there's no way this is real no fucking way <laughs> it was just so good it was just nothing about pain it was just mental for the time yes he's just a fantastic all round wrestler and he's just He's hit it everywhere, too. but it's, it's a fine choice to get to round off our show on wrestling heroes and say we've picked all of ours. We've had Stone Cold Steve Austin, we've had Eddie Guerrero, we've had the Motor City Machine Guns, Takahashi, AJ Styles, we've had Mick Foley, and we've had Chris Jericho. Some fantastic choices in there, but obviously there's been so many wrestlers in wrestling history. And if you want to chime in with your wrestling hero who got you into it, please get in touch with us on our social media channels Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at Suplex Retweet please tell us who your wrestling hero is if you've enjoyed our show tonight and you've never listened to us before subscribe to us listen to our full back catalogue on all good podcasting sites uh, just search for us Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet and also we've got our bonus stream of Suplex Retweet Extra which plugged the various points in the show there's Eat Sleep that Grant does we're talking about you Japan uh, Saturday Draft Live and David does as well mm-hmm. there's so much content on that one and our main, on both our catalogues so please subscribe to that one but that's been us for tonight next week we're going to be talking about our MVPs from the Ruthless Aggression Era hosted by Mr Hockney himself mm-hmm. yep it's, uh, it's all coming together really nicely and I think it's going to be a great show so keep an eye out for that so that is coming up next week on the main Eat Sleep Suplex Retreat channel but until then I would like to thank my panel for tonight first of all Strack thanks very much mate and Grant thank you very much to go along with Strack's line of speaking thank you very fucking much (laughs) (laughs) I don't swear that much (laughs) I'm Uh, fucking offended that you think that (laughs) David thank you thank you and to Ryan thank you and to Kwaku thank you very much Thank you. I've been Stephen Wilson, and we'll see you next week. Ladies and gentlemen, Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet now proudly presents Suplex 
Retweet Extra! Get bonus content on WWE, AEW, NXT, WCW, Scottish and World Independent Promotions. Subscribe now on Spotify, Apple and Android podcasting sites, as well as YouTube. Head over to suplexretweet.com now!